Good morning, LCM. As we stand here this morning, we are blessed, we are happy, and we are positioned well. We know this because things are growing darker outside. The spiritual pressures are mounting, and our generations are being threatened. This is true in the broadest sense of our national spiritual climate that is clearly in decline. And it's true in the narrowest sense of the specific satanic attacks on families in this church, like the Ruedas, the Dangs, the Robinsons, and too many of us to mention. Yep. Some would think, wow, Eric, you're being insensitive. This is inaccurate. Or worse, you're being obtuse to refer to these circumstances as positioning us well. <laughs> However, when we observe your reactions, when we look better at your actions, when we see your passionate pursuit of the kingdom in the midst of these events, how can we say anything except you are a blessed people? Yeah. What Paul said to the Philippians 2,000 years ago is true of your actions as we sit in here today together. We have a slide for you that is Philippians 3, verse 10 in the Amplified. You may remember it. For my determined purpose is that I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, that I may in the same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed yeah. in spirit into his likeness even to his death in the hope, hope. church when you have experienced what feels to you like a setback but you know the character of your father better than that yeah. it's not really a setback now is it no church when you've experienced loss but you have also gained something from him in the process. It's not really loss, is it, church? No! When you are in the fight of your life, even for your children, but are more deeply and intimately acquainted with him in the process, well, you are well positioned. You are blessed. You are happy in ways that this world will never understand without their transformation. And we're praying for their transformation. But right now, we're just rejoicing in the fact that we are being transformed. Amen. Look, last Sunday, pastors Wade and Matthew and Judah encouraged us with a message. More and more powerful. That word was as timely as it is true about you. We are a body that has been 20 years in the making. And we are starting to bear the marks of maturity in our fiery faith. Come on now. I can say this because things that would have devastated this community in the past, well now, they only serve to propel us passionately yeah. towards our goal in Christ Jesus. Right. Church, we're not going to be delayed. No. We won't be deterred. No. We cannot be deviated from the eternal crown that awaits us. And we're going after it. Yeah. Saints, we want you to know this morning that we are proud yes. of you. More than that, we are proud to contend as one man with you in the deliverance of souls from the depths of hell. Our message this morning, it's called swatting flies. Swatting. 
Now in our time, we're becoming accustomed to the loudest voices emanating from the most foolish of sources. That's true. In the absence of a substantive point, the propagandists of our time just shout over the righteous opposition. Yeah. If they cannot do this with literal, audible volume, then they do it by voluminous lies that you hear every single hour of the news cycle. CNN, MSNBC. <laughs> Church, now is a good time, before we get too far in this message, to receive instruction from the Word of God. Let's get it. We are going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 17 this morning. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Even if that ruler of fools comes from the party in power. Or the dark prince whose hour is currently at hand. Verse 18. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. Come on. And church, you are full of wisdom that has come from heaven. You are armed with weapons of war from the heavens. Let me hear your war cry. Yeah. Verse 18 goes on to say, but one sinner destroys much good. Verse 1 of chapter 10. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise... Inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. I love the living, breathing, active word of God. It's ironic that this verse is nearly 3,000 years old. Can we all say together some truths are timeless? Yeah. They extend beyond national boundaries. They extend beyond the naming and renaming of political entities. The heart of the fool always leans left. That truth doesn't even need contextualization. Turn on the news and they actually still call themselves the left. They're the paunchy old ones in the presidential pulpits. And they despise the timeless, tried, true wisdom of heaven. And they're always trying to shout over their opposition. Since these actions are simply the expression of the spiritual realm's dark dominion over their impish puppets. Now, truthfully, we have been armed in this house to resist both. Everything that they can throw at us, whether it's volume or it's the repetition of lies, we are armed with heavenly wisdom. We do not need to shout. We just won't comply. We won't comply with the killing of our babies. No. We not won't comply happen. with the dispersal of our assemblies. No. We will not comply with the censorship of our dissent. And definitely not the forced injection of our bodies. Right. There is within the temple of our bodies in Christ an ultimate empowerment. And it has given us the confidence in this house to face every challenge, knowing the ultimate outcome. In advance of the fight. That's in right. advance. We are the perfume and the aroma of Christ in this house this morning. We are the real thing and not the counterfeit sold as a cheap knockoff in the institutions that are of even less worth than the convenience store bathroom vending machines where you expect to see them being dispensed for three coins Placed in a dirty little slot. Come on. 
Who understands what I'm talking about this morning? No fake George Armani in here. The Apostle John was writing between AD 90 and 95. And he gave us a familial letter. He was writing as a father to his children that were living in dark times. So it's appropriate for us now. He corrected various forms of error in his letter. But most importantly, he reminded his family that they had what it takes to prevail over the perverse but popular themes of his day. Do y'all want to get into 1 John? So as we pick up in 1 John 2, 24, remember, it is a familial letter. So we're going to interact with it together a bit. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Saints, you have the word of God inside of you, and it will remain. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying. Somebody say trying. Trying. To lead you astray. Oh, but thank God. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, LCM. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real. You got the real thing, baby. It's not a counterfeit. Just as it has been taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Come on, church. In every single age, there are those that would lead astray the children of God. But you this morning have the anointing. And the anointing that you possess is the real thing. You know that you have not received a counterfeit. Because even in difficulty, listen to me. Even in difficulty, you are doing what is righteous, and that validates the real anointing that you have that has been birthed inside of you. You know that you're anointed when you are doing what is righteous, especially in difficult times. What is in you, church, is born of heaven, and nothing earthly is a match for the genuine deposit placed inside of you. These spiritual flies, they're like Swarming an elephant. As you engage with that imagery, think about it. Tiny, insignificant, miniature little creatures attacking the foremost land mammal. And they are no serious threat to you unless they get into your head and cause you to forget who you are. Oh, come on. The real power of the opposition that you are facing, church, is harassment. Look, we just compared it to an elephant to put it one other way. Our enemy is like a roaring lion. You, you have been born again to the son of David. You are of that kingly tribe and he put his name on you. What the enemy is throwing at us is merely harassment. These attacks, these swarms, these annoying, distracting attempts to overwhelm your spiritual senses will not succeed. Not one of them is capable of stopping your divinely appointed destiny. You're called of God. Because you have the real anointing of God upon you, you have everything you need to complete the call in your life. 
This morning, we are going to look at the foundational elements that John understood as forming the concept of the anointing. Come on. You know, Moses first wrote about it in about 1500 BC as a nation prepared to have God dwell with them in supernatural ways. Church, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 30 this morning. Come on. Exodus 30 verse 22 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the following fine spices. I can only hear Justin Linton when you say that. (laughs) Them spices is fine. Fine spices. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh. Half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon. 250 shekels of fragrant calamus. 500 shekels of cassia. All according to the sanctuary shekel. Matt may have got more than 500 shekels of cassia. Uh, He's really excited about it. He's got the anointing. And a hen of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil. A fragrant blend. The work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. Come on. The children of Israel were building a representation of the heavens. And they were doing it while they were standing on the earth. Just like us. Nearly everything in the tabernacle was anointed with oil. The oil was not ordinary. It was extraordinary. It was not natural, but it conveyed the supernatural. The anointing oil was the work of a master perfumer. And it was far too sacred to allow flies to contaminate it. Oh, come on. This morning, we are going to look at the formula for the original, the sacred anointing oil of God that will enlighten you to the holy nature of the genuine deposit that is inside of each and every one of you. The elements, they were chosen by God himself. Now we have a few amazing chefs in this room. Damien in the back there can cook. I know that he can. He makes a special punch too. Can definitely cook as well. But man, what is it when God forms his own recipe? God himself produced this. He produced it through the work of his creation. He made the elements. Then he prescribed the elements. There were five divinely directed components that each have significance in the sight, insight that they provide to the supernatural nature of the anointing that you have received. Let's go ahead and put our slide up. So you heard it audibly earlier. Now see each of the elements. Myrrh, cinnamon, Fragrant cane, cassia, and olive oil. These five sacred spices could look like a normal shopping list to the uninitiated. But we must remember that God himself made this list. And he did it for a reason. Think back to Exodus chapters 25 through 40 for a moment. They describe heaven on earth by way of the tabernacle. And those chapters are replete with instances of five. And that's intentional. Five. Think back to Leviticus 1 through 5. It delineates five specific unique sacrifices designed to bring the people closer to their God. And guess what? This number was intentional. Everyone here will remember that David picked up how many stones? 
five stones before defeating the monstrous giant Goliath. And that number's not an accident. The book of Psalms is received by the Hebrews in five specific divisions. What about the Newer Testament? It contains similar emphasis on five with things like Jesus taking five loaves and feeding 5,000 men with them in Matthew 14. Those numbers can't be random, can they? No. Or maybe, more to our point lately, Ephesus, where five special grace gifts were given to mature the church by the way of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Look, the point of mentioning these things is any serious Bible student, just like Pastor Nick is a serious Bible student, that has ever undergone a hermeneutic study of the number five, well, they cannot miss the association with grace and five in the Bible. Grace is always a special anointing that empowers believers beyond sin and into zealous works for God. That's how you can define grace. LCM, we know that's not a foreign concept to you, but the convenience gas station vending machines that pose as churches may think of grace as forgiveness and forgiveness alone. The truth is that the Bible portrays grace as divine, supernatural empowerment over and beyond sin. We want to read to you Titus 2, verse 11 through 14 in the ESV this morning. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Purify a people who are zealous for good works. We all learned that grace trains us to renounce ungodliness or say no to sin. And that was certainly the first step. However, as Pastor Slaughter puts it, grace does more than that. Grace empowers God's possession to be zealous for good works. Are you zealous, church? Yes. We can testify that you guys have done more than just Nancy Reagan say no. You are excelling in zeal for the good works of God. This is because the anointing in you is real. It is not counterfeit. The anointing is the grace empowerment over sin unto zealousness for good works. So as we begin to take a look at the elements of this anointing oil that you have that is real and not counterfeit, you will grow in your confidence. You will be able to take confidence in the kind, the caliber, the rate at which he has deposited good things inside of you. It is producing victory, and it will produce victory all the more. Our first slide is myrrh, which we mentioned earlier. You'll see some references on it, and it has to do with life and death. Now, if you want to hear a one-hour and 45-minute sermon going deep into these elements, look at the 2017 message entitled, Holy Mixture. One hour and 45 minutes. It It was quite the message. For our purposes here today, 
We just want you to know that myrrh is associated with the concept of life and death. This is for a variety of reasons. To start with the tree where you harvest this from. It lives only to be pierced repeatedly so that the sap can be harvested from it. The word is linguistically linked to the Hebrew word for death. And finally, lastly, its scriptural occurrences bear out the association as you look into it in the scriptures. Let's begin to run through a scriptural association. This will, will help you. This is Matthew 2.11. On coming to the house, they saw that the child was with his mother Mary. The pronouns here are the magi coming to the parents of Jesus. You're in the book of Daniel, so you're probably aware that Daniel had been elevated to be the chief of the magi. Well, men from the east of Jerusalem and Babylon is due east of Jerusalem came to the early announcement of the birth of Christ. And they're probably associated with the magi situation in Babylon in Daniel's day. That's what's happening here. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Come on. Take note that Jesus was gifted myrrh by the Magi as he entered the world. We're about to pick up in John 19 verse 39. At a different place in Jesus' ministry. Yeah. Oh. Ministry nonetheless. Remember, myrrh has to do with life and death. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So in Matthew 2, 11, you saw Magi bringing myrrh to the king of the world. Now in John 19, 39... We see Nicodemus bringing myrrh to the king of the world. This is because Jesus was embalmed with myrrh at his death. It was marking something. In the same way that a myrrh tree is born to be pierced, slashed, and it produces something that is fragrant and pleasing to God. The Messiah's life and death were both marked by myrrh itself. Church, the anointing that you have received is real. And it yeah. is not counterfeit. It contains the first element of the sacred anointing oil. Come on. That's because your lives are no longer indifferent to even the most minute details of the kingdom. You consider every action that you take in light of Messiah's life and his death. Because he Amen. is fragrant to you. And he is of great value to you. You've pledged your life and death to Messiah. That makes your life a fragrant offering to him. Amen. That's putting some myrrh in it. That's right. You, like Messiah and the myrrh tree, were born of God to be pierced repeatedly so that supernatural fragrance of Christ might flow out of you to the dying world around you. That's what say you you guys are getting fragrant in here. Amen. I want to read to you from Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 16 on the subject of life and death and myrrh. 
See, I set before you today life. Somebody say life. Life. In prosperity. Death. Somebody say death. Death. In destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Now, saints, we are not just speculating. We know that you are anointed. We know it because for you, the word of God is life and death. This is the first element of the genuine anointing that rests upon your lives. Since your king lived and died for the kingdom of God, and you consider his life as precious, you imitate him by considering his life and death in every detail of your own lives. That's because the anointing is in you. It's a part of you. It's his anointing. In every satanic strategy of the enemy, remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. It's death and it's life. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Amen. Look, uh, a man who sings, uh, someone who preaches, or maybe that person that seems to you to be especially talented, that's not the one that possesses the genuine anointing of God. No, the man that possesses the genuine anointing of God is the one that treats obedience to the word of God as a matter of life and death. When you see life and death seriousness about the word of God, that is an anointed man. Come on, every fear about your own personal performance is going to drop away this morning. You're going to recognize what God has placed on you. When we, as your pastors, see the way that you love righteousness and hate wickedness, we're encouraged that the anointing in you is real and not an ounce of it is counterfeit. And it is all that you need for victory in the days that we live in. We want you to consider Psalm 45, 7 through 8, in light of that life or death struggle we've been discussing. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God Your God, LCM, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Check out verse 8 with us. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From palaces adorned with ivory, the music of the strings makes you glad, LCM. Ooh, church, we can smell the anointing of Christ on you. We can see your robes fragrant with myrrh because of the seriousness with which you approach the word of God and even the smallest details of your lives. You are anointed and the anointing is all that you need to possess the victory that is yours in Messiah. You can't put the Ruedas into a position where the word is not their life and they're not willing to die for it. It's not going to happen. You can't put the Zakaris into a position where they don't experience the life of the word in deadly situations. Church, this is because you're anointed. Would you like to move on to the second element? 
It's a fun one. It's the second element of the genuine anointing. So we have a slide that is cinnamon, right? This element is a compound word in Hebrew. You can see it up there. Kenah is the first part, which means jealousy. And mean, which is referring to a certain species. Thus, kenamine is the godly species of jealousy. Look, I, I need y'all to interact with Come me on. this morning, so say it with us. Kenamine. Kenamine. All right, now you're alleviated of that, and we'll just call it cinnamon. Because it has the same basic phonetic sounds in about a hundred languages. There can only be one reason for that. The reason it escaped the Tower of Babel is because <laughs> God wanted all men everywhere to understand this genuine element of the anointing. Now, much like myrrh, the imagery surrounding cinnamon is something that the convenience store bathroom vending machine institutions that we've been talking about have serious trouble grasping. That is because they do not understand God's holy jealousy and certainly are not jealous for him on a personal level. But you in this house know that not only is God jealous, but that his very name is jealous. Yes. Now we're talking about Exodus 34, where the Lord is speaking to his people while they were at Mount Sinai. And he was highlighting the covenant that he made between himself and them. The Lord came down in the cloud and proclaimed his name. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. What an incredible husband that we have, church. Yeah. Come on now. One who cares for his bride and is jealous for her love and her loyalty. Amen. Listen to several verses later in Exodus 34 as the Lord gives more revelation about what his name means. We're about to learn about the holy species of jealousy. Exodus 34, 14, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. His character is jealous. His body of work is jealous. His very reputation is jealous. The Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God in case you missed it the first time. <laughs> Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. No, no, don't do it. He's jealous for you. For when they prostitute themselves to uh -oh. their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and you will eat their sacrifices. <laughs> and when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons, and those daughters prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. Uh -oh. Don't do it. No, no. We got to grab hold of something this morning. Biblical jealousy is not a negative emotion at all. Oh, come on. Somebody say, not at all. Not at all. What is No, being? no, no. Spence, say not at all. Yeah, I get it. Not at all. Come on, cuz. All kinds. <laughs> Biblical jealousy has none of the connotation of our modern world. It is not a negative emotion. It is an attribute that is a defining characteristic of God as his name. What is being conveyed is like the fiery, hot flush feeling that you might get when trying to do the cinnamon challenge. Yeah. Now, if you've ever done this, there's an innate physical response. Perhaps one that you have no control over. 
but it's in parallel with God's desire for your fidelity, friendship, and fealty. Something has to rise that is hot in it. He, like any good husband, man, he is not willing to share you. He's not willing to share you with the gods around, not with their puppets or their practices. He will not share. He's a jealous God. Amen. Additionally, he wants you to be jealous for him, desiring his attention, his affirmation, his affection, and for you to be in awe of who he is. Listen, he's not looking for a cinnamon toast tryst here. He's not looking for a two-hour encounter full of sugar, light on the substance of cinnamon. No, he is looking for burning hot passion that brings a flushed feeling to your face when you think of him. Come on. And for that feeling to endure as long as your covenant to him endures. That is entirely different than a weekend tryst characterized by lack of commitment, lack of long-term interest, lack of genuine enduring passion. A tryst is a brief romantic encounter. It's not a lifelong passion. Church, you are the anointed of God. And that is why you tend to get a little hot under the collar when he's being spoken of in a demeaning or inaccurate way. Understand something. Our God, he feels the same way when you were being treated with disdain. He gets a little hot under the collar. The Bible even portrays him as having smoke come out of his nostrils. And it's not because he's vaping. The anointing produces a species of holy jealousy. And it burns intensely for the one with whom you share a covenant. Come on. We see this godly characteristic in you. Because you are anointed, godly jealousy is a really important ingredient in the genuine anointing. Before we jump into Isaiah 26... Verse 8 through 3. Something in worship today just felt like the Almighty God had arranged a boxing ring. He put us in a position where it looks like we're about to engage with the enemy. And the enemy thinks that he's dealing with you, LCM. But he has no idea what godly jealousy is being brewed in our Father. That he's watching something that is happening that's heating up inside of him for you. Do you understand what we're describing? We're talking about a house that is zealous for God, but he is also zealous for you, LCM. Isaiah 26 verse 8 says, Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name, which is a jealous name, and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Verse 9 goes on to say, My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. You are a people who yearn and long for the name and renown of Yahweh. It is the desire of your very heart. If you turn over a table or two in the presence of money changers, it's because you are zealous and jealous for the name of God. You are jealous for the name of the Almighty and zeal for his house is consuming you. Saints, when others do not feel the same, when they don't feel these kind of things, it's precisely because they're not anointed. They just profess it. They have no myrrh, no life and death reliance on Messiah. They have no cinnamon, godly jealousy for the holiness of his name. 
but you do. And saints, you should never feel the need to apologize for it, not to your relatives, not to the world around. No apologies in this house. You should celebrate that you are his. And hear me, he is yours, LCM. Your relationship can be rightly characterized by this specific species of godly jealousy. You guys ready for the third element of your anointing? We got a next slide for you. This is fragrant cane. Fragrant. Now, as you can see on the slide, the word basam refers to something fragrant. And the second word, kane, is a rod used as a standard for measuring things. This imagery carries throughout the biblical narrative, even into Revelation chapter 11 and Revelation 21. This is what is in the hands of angels who measure the height, the width, the depth of the habitation of God. Now, in about 600 BC, a specific Levite named Ezekiel wrote about the use of Kane in the following fashion. Do you want to hear it? This is Ezekiel 40, starting in verse 4. The man said to me, son of man, look carefully and listen closely and pay attention to everything I'm going to show you. Come on, you think that heaven was trying to get his attention? Look closely to everything I'm going to show you, for this is why you have been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything you see. I saw a wall completely surrounding the temple area. The length of the measuring rod, the kane, in the man's hand was six long cubits, each of which was a cubit and a handbreadth. He measured the wall. It was one measuring rod thick and one rod high. See, throughout the Bible, this kind of rod, this kane, was used to measure holy things. Usually, it was the temple being measured. And it becomes fragrant when you use the same measure as God does. The Lord loves it. Come on, somebody say the Lord loves it. Lord loves it. When his people use his measures rather than the unjust, unequal, unholy standards of the people around us. Now when the people around us, or people in general, they do not see this as myrrh, life or death importance. And they have no cinnamon, no holy jealousy burning inside of them for the things of God. They use different measures for different circumstances. All right, you with me? Their relatives are spiritual dwarfs. Midgets! Midgets. But they appraise them as tall because they are their relatives. Their children are godless heathen, but they appraise them as good because they're their children. Now hear this last one. Their pastors are paid entertainers, but they appraise them as righteous because they are the ones who are paying them. Saints, this is a stench in God's nostrils, and it could never, no matter how it's dressed up or guised, it could never make it into the holy anointing oil. Church, we know that you are anointed because you are using the same standard in all of your judgments that God himself does. He even spoke to this body recently. We're talking about in the last three weeks through a prophetic word given by Mrs. Joellen. You guys want to hear that again? And the sweet savor has come into my nostrils from this people who have dedicated themselves unto me. 
I have heard your cries. I have seen your tears and I am beginning to transform that use, the transformation that you so desire. And that power is beginning to work in you. Yes. For I am building a great kingdom and you are chosen by me. Continue to cry out to me. Continue to do the hard work for I am doing a great thing in this house. Because the love that has been poured out on this place is supernatural. And as you unite together, you will begin to see even greater works that are beginning to take place. And you are beginning to see what I am doing because your eyes have been opened to the supernatural things that are around you. I am a mighty king and I love the smell that has come forth to me. It is a sweet savor. Continue to cry out for I have heard the cry of my people. Look, the prophecy that came forward is similar to what we heard in Ezekiel, which is why we're bringing it up. Three times Ezekiel was exhorted to look carefully and listen closely and pay attention and then told to tell the people everything that the Lord showed him. Come on. In the prophecy from Miss Joe, the Lord said that what we were doing was a sweet savor before him and the result of his power or you could say anointing at work within us the prophecy then went on to say you are beginning to see this is because the anointing in us is comprised of fragrant cane which is using the measuring standard of god when we get that right all of a sudden we begin to see the habitation of god in the world around us differently Now, I know I'm not the only one. When I hear about God's prophetic voice and what he speaks of his body, his bride as, my mind at times will drift to the errors that I've made. It's true that sometimes we err in this regard, but the anointing of God will not leave us an error. Come on! Because it is genuine and it teaches us all things that we need. All things. We want you to consider what Isaiah had to do, had to say about this very subject in Isaiah 42 verses three through four, a bruised reed. He will not break and a smoldering wick. He will not snuff out in faithfulness. He will bring forth justice. Amen. And amen. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth in his teaching. Man, the islands will put their hope. Come on, church. Are you getting it with us this morning? Even if you feel bruised by a temporary setback, even if you feel bruised by a loss in a moment, or you feel bruised by a fight that you're engaged with for your life or maybe even the lives of your children, you still possess the measuring rod of the standards of God. You are anointed, and God's fragrant cane is in the mixture of the anointing. He will not snuff you out. He will not break you over his knee. He will establish his justice in you, and he will use you to teach the islands how to hope in him. Oh, come on, saints. Get with us for just a moment. You feel like you've been broken. You feel like you're destroyed. I want to remind you about your king this morning. Your king was fragrant before God. He was bruised. He was struck for your benefit. In this house, you are being pierced for godly reasons. You are no more defeated than our king was when he was struck down and raised again. All the more fragrant. 
Resurrection is rising in this house and we can see it and we can smell it rising from this room. We know that you are anointed because we see myrrh that is the life and death seriousness of God in you. We know that you are anointed because we see the cinnamon or cinnamon that is mutual holy jealousy for the things of God. Sometimes you got to turn over a table or two. I don't even feel guilty about it. (laughs) We know that you are anointed because the fragrant cane, that is the righteous standards of God are in your hand. And you're using them to evaluate everything around you, even you. I think it's best that we move to our fourth element at this point. Cassia. You guys see this on the screen? When this is broken down, it is when... Kiddah, it's used as a noun. It refers to fragrant bark. You getting the imagery? All of this is something that is fragrant and rising before the Lord. But when the same word is used as a verb, kiddah, it refers to a kindled fire. How about that? A fragrant offering that when it becomes a verb, it is a kindled fire. So many of the elements of your anointing are like this. There is a thing that is beautiful and it is fragrant. But it produces in you a holy fire, yes, LCM. Come yes. on. Now, it's not within the scope of our time this morning to mar the beauty of this sacred message that we are sharing to go extensively into the linguistics. But the word for fragrant bark is derived from the action of rolling up or falling prostrate before the Lord. You know, it turns out that this is a fragrant offering of its own, and it occurs frequently in the lives of, well, say, the sons of Jacob, or the life of Moses, Aaron, Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, Ezra, Nehemiah, and those in revival during their days. The verb form of the word has to do with holy fire, the holy fire of godly actions that were produced in the men that made themselves like the cassia bark. See, the men that made themselves like cassia bark in fragrant, prostrated submission then entered into the verb form of kindled holy fire. You know this because they could no longer tolerate the ungodly circumstances that were around them. These men, like God, burned against idolatry, burned against compromise, burned against false religion. The very same word is used to describe God's anger against the very same kind of things in Deuteronomy 32, beginning in 22. For a fire has been kindled by my wrath, one that burns to the realm of death below. I would say he's lit. A little bit. (laughs) It will devour the earth and its harvest and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. Guys, reflect on the magnitude of the fire that has been lit. Anointed men. Anointed men like Ezra and Nehemiah who would not tolerate idolatry. Anointed men like the households in this room. Man, you are like God. You are intolerant of willful disobedience. Yeah. And you take action to make clear delineation between the things that are righteous and of your God and the things that are not of your God. We see this element of the anointing at work within this body. This anointing burned within the prophet Jeremiah. And man, it's recorded in the 20th chapter and the 9th verse. Mm. But if I say, 
I will not mention him or speak any more of his name. Man, his word is in my heart like a fire. Fire! A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I cannot hold it in. You church are anointed and you cannot hold in the fire of God that compels you to draw a line in the sand and call people back to righteousness. Come on. The anointed are never indifferent to religious compromise. Never. But rather are compelled from within to speak his words. Burning. To declare his standards. To simply not settle for less than being his instrument made for his use. It is a fire in our bones that we cannot and that we will not hold in. This is the same concept that John the Immerser expressed about our king, the anointed, the Mashiach. When you're thinking about Cassia and the kindled fire, understand that the anointing in you causes you to be intolerant of things that offend God. Come on. Matthew 3.11 says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork, that's an instrument of separation, guys. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, Come on. gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Grab hold of this concept. Every anointed man has a winnowing fork in his hand yes. or he's not anointed. Every anointed man is an instrument of separation. This is because the holy fire in you will separate out that which will not be on fire for the Lord. So that it can be set on fire by the Lord in judgment. John was a man with experiential knowledge about the Holy Spirit and fire. Yes. And we see that same knowledge at work in you. Amen. This is the anointing at work within you. And it is the very reason that the compromised or out and out lost feel so uncomfortable when you're in the room. <laughs> you got a winnowing fork. That's right. Anointed people. Always leave no middle ground. It's what they do. It's their purpose. It cannot be helped. It's a kindled fire. They call people to the Lord or to Baal, but you must pick one. Pick. Our lives compel others to choose. Saints, your lives have become compelling yes! everywhere that you go. You force a decision. Who you are by nature with no words alone is like a fire that is burning up chaff and causes people to cry out to God. Saints, this is how Isaiah described this concept. In chapter 50, verses 10 through 11, he's going to speak about two groups of people. You ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Who among you fears the Lord? Anybody in this house? Yes. And obeys the word of his servant. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Verse 11. But now, all of you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. Uh -oh. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Oh, my goodness. 
Suffice it to say that the anointed are definitely not Danish therapists. No, well, no, no. if you've never known one of... Well, see Boj after the service. He'll explain it. He'll explain it for you. They are agents of separation between that which is holy fire and that which will be burned by holy fire. Come on. We are so proud of the holy fire that is compelling godly actions in your lives. You guys want to look at the last element of your anointing? We have a slide for the last element, which is olive oil. Now, when you hear the words olive oil, you tend to think of it as anointing oil. But that's simply not true. Its primary purpose is that it provided the lighting for the tabernacle and for the temple. I want to read this to you straight from the scripture so that you won't be so tempted to argue with it. Exodus 25, 6 says, olive oil for the light. light. Olive oil for the light. light. Olive oil for the light. light. Spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. Like so many other shortcuts in today's convenient gas station vending machine institutions, <laughs> the common thoughts about olive oil are less than one-fifth true. And I'm not talking about the good kind of fifth here. Nope, not the good kind. Setting a bottle of olive oil on the altar does not make it anointing oil. Nope. The olive oil was first and foremost for lighting the way. That fact is attested to not only in Exodus 25, which we read, but Exodus 35, 8, which is the exact same wording. Judah, what makes olive oil anointing oil then? What makes the olive oil anointing oil is when it is used as the agency. The agency within which resides oh, come on. myrrh, that life on death seriousness. When it's the agency in which cinnamon resides, that righteous jealousy for God. When it's the agency that fragrant cane resides in, those godly standards of measurement. And man, cassia. The kindled fire of God resides in it. Uh -huh. That is what makes olive oil anointing oil. All elements must be present. <laughs> olive oil provides the beginnings of spiritual light so that you can see clearly that the myrrh, the cinnamon, the fragrant cane, and the cassia must be in the holy mixture or it is not the genuine anointing oil of God. Now, this whole process is the grace-filled work of a master perfumer. Ooh. And it is exactly what those flies are always trying to contaminate. Look, we, we've preached many, well, I should probably say I have preached many messages on the four pressings of the olive. And if you desire to learn more about that process, listen to Gethsemane and the Olive Press. Again, it's only an hour and 50 minutes, <laughs> right? <laughs> But our focus this morning is on the elements in combination so that you understand something. Those five elements we want to show you again. We've thrown a lot at you. But understand any anointed person takes the word of God with life and death seriousness or they're not anointed. Any anointed person shows the same level of righteous jealousy that God does about the things of God. Any anointed person uses God's measures and standards to measure everything. Any anointed person has a kind of kindled fire that comes in him from being 
reverently submissive before the Lord. And any anointed person walks in the spiritual light, which shows him how to relate to these first four things. We're preaching this to you because we see these elements in your holy mixture. And we are testifying to you that we see the real and genuine anointing in our midst. And we are excited about it. Church, we are in a world that has tried to take olive oil alone. To have the spiritual light of God for everything that they desire and have ignored the other four elements that make it special. But you have refused to accept one-fifth. You have fought for, cultivated, and this anointing is yours. Church, you are a blessed and happy, well-positioned people. You are this way because your lives show that you have this anointing and you are growing in it day by day. This is also why the gnats and flies are starting to swarm. Yeah, there's an aroma that has gone out. They would love to spoil what the master perfumer has genuinely deposited inside of you. So now let's go back and revisit Ecclesiastes together. And see if the Lord will breathe upon our situation. Mm. Honestly, we know that he's about to. Because it is his anointing that resides within us, after all. All right, we're 57 minutes into the message. So raise up your hands and say, Lord, breathe on us. Lord, breathe on us. Anything the Lord breathes on comes to life. So it's required of you now to come to life. Say, live. Live. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 17. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now in this verse, there is nothing wrong with the anointing oil. No, nothing. And there's nothing wrong with the anointing that's in you. It's exactly God's anointing oil. The real issue at hand is that the ruler of fools is trying to shout in your ear. And he's trying to send his flies to attempt the contamination of your anointing oil. It's not going to happen. The anointing oil that God has given you is pure. Yes. The anointing oil that God has given you is righteous. And it must remain unmixed with any other substance. The anointing in you is the grace empowerment that has given you five elements of a genuine anointing. What you possess, or I should rather say, what possesses you is the work of a master perfumer. So that your life has become the fragrance of Christ. We are swatting flies this morning. Because they are not sent from God, but are contaminants trying to ruin who you really are. Saints, we have an enemy. We have an enemy that the Canaanites called the Prince of Bel. But whom the people of God called Belzebub. We have a slide for you on this subject. It's about our enemy. Thus it seems likely that Belzebub, Lord of the Flies, is a cacanym of Belzebub. Prince of Baal, the actual Canaanite deity of worship. You look at the bottom of the slide, it goes on, it says, it's the Lord of flies, 
or Lord of the Manure Pile. Oh! oh. Referring to Satan. Love that little tagline at the end. Whoa. It's crazy that the name of the opposition is Lord of Flies. Now, more specifically, the kind of flies that come from the uh, <clears throat> manure pile. They have no place in your thoughts, church. They have no place in your hearts or the sacred mixture of the holy anointing that is within each of you. This morning, we want to say, swat those flies. They are not you, they are not from you, and they will not be allowed to ruin the aroma that is yours and Christ. This very message began with encouragement from Paul. It was in Philippians 3.10 in the Amplified Version that we saw the description that reminded us of you. We're going to put that back on the screen for a moment. That I may know him that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. That is a beautiful description of Paul. And it's an accurate description of each of you. We've been quoting it a lot lately because the Spirit has highlighted it to us a lot lately. Do you know what comes right before it? I'm going to give you a hint. It's swatting flies. I want you to catch this slide, okay? This is Philippians 3.8, two verses before 10. This is from the NET translation. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung that i may gain christ the note from the net translators is enlightening the word here translated dung was often used in greek as a vulgar term i don't even know how to pronounce this word oh yeah fecal matter as such it would most likely have had a certain Shock value for the readers (laughs) or the listeners online. This may well be Paul's meaning here, especially since the context is about what the flesh produces. Oh, my. Yeah, I think we're we're probably going to meditate on that a little more. (laughs) I want to put this in some practical realities for you. Anything that does not come from the anointing within you... That God gave you within you could rightly, somebody say rightly, rightly be called a fly. In this case, the word for dung is scubalon. Scubalon. So we're just going to call these flies what they are. For the rest of this message today, scubalon flies. Scubalon flies. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pastors. Yes? I'm feeling a bit of poetic inspiration. Can you guys help me out with this for a moment? Yes. Can you help me? When the scubalon flies say that you're not fit, look, bails above in the eyes and say you're full of flies. Oh, yes, I think we got something. Pastor Nick, that, uh, that poem, it could be an instant hit. Yes. All I want to say is, no scuba long, Scuba Nick. long. 
we're going to swat those flies. Would y'all like to see a fly swatting oh, passage in the word? This is 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. That's right. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, <laughs> they have divine power yeah, to demolish do. strongholds. That's right. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought. Sometimes you just got to choke a dog, right? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Church, you are anointed and that anointing is real in you. Scubalon flies can try to set up strongholds, but we... Swap those flies! And we demolish them. Scubalon flies can try to plant thoughts in your mind and cause arguments. But we swap those flies! Scubalon flies can try to promote pretensions. But we swap those flies! The way that we swap those flies is that we know that the thought did not originate from us or from Christ. They are just Scubalon flies sent from the Lord of manure, manure flies to contaminate the purity of our fragrant anointing. And we swap those flies. See, throughout history of anointed men, Beelzebub has sent outside discouragements. They came against people like Ezra and Nehemiah. They came in the form of harassing thoughts that even a fox could break down their walls. But those men did not allow those contaminants into their holy mixture of anointing oil. Do you remember that Nehemiah said, should a man like me hide? <laughs> See, he knew he had the holy anointing oil in him. In saints, the anointed, we know who we are. You know what we do? We swap those flies. Look at how Paul reminded the Corinthians that they were uh, fly swatters. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Oh, come on. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep, like you already have it, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. <laughs> they swatted those scubalon flies yes. of yeast. They remembered who they really are. Saints, in this house, we are going to remember who we really are. Man, we have brothers like the Robinson family, Assad the Lion King contending for his young son Judah or his cub. We will remember who we are, who Christ has made us to be, and we will swat those flies. You notice how it says they kept the feast? You can't keep a feast that isn't already yours. Yes. That feast belongs to you. It is given to you by God. It is your possession. We will hold on to it in this house. We are the anointed of God. And that anointing is real. I watched Elder John receive bad news medically. And you know what he did? He slapped the scuba on out of that fly. In this house, we swat those flies. 
Paul said something very similar to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives yes. worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because... When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Yes, it is. You see, Paul reminded the Thessalonians of what his character was like. And then he went even further. He reminded them of what their character was like. All of this is because they had received the genuine anointing of the word of God, which was at work inside of them. Church, while you're thinking about the process and the things that we've preached about today, and you can tell we're doing our very best to share our hearts with you, I want to show you a slide, okay? When you look at these elements, myrrh, cinnamon, fragrant cane, cassia, and olive oil, and you realize that myrrh is life and death seriousness, that cinnamon is righteous jealousy, that fragrant cane are the standards of God, that that cassia is that kindled fire, and that olive oil is a spiritual light, you, you probably have no problem realizing that apostles take the word with life and death seriousness. That prophets have a righteous jealousy for the things God is jealous for. That evangelists are holding up the righteous standard of God's measurements. That pastors have a kindled fire. They can even be a wall of fire around their people. And that teachers provide the spiritual light for others to gain these elements of anointing. You can probably see these elements in the leaders of this church. But just like... Paul was speaking to the Thessalonians. The reason we're preaching this message is because we see these elements in you. We are excited about what's growing in you. I'm excited that the Robinsons cannot be discouraged. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that the Ruedas... I I sent them the wrong scripture the other day. I meant to send it to somebody else and it went to them. And they still found something amazing in it. You can't make these people victims. Okay? It's, I'm excited about what we see growing in you. You know we are not fluff pastors, okay? If you just wanted to hear you're a champion, then you could go to a crappy church. If we say that you are a champion, it's because we're saying it in sincerity and truth about what we see in you. That's a good word. You know that it's true because of the other 51 weeks a year that we're preaching to you. We have reason for confidence in this house. Church, you are carrying on the tradition of all the anointed that have gone on before you. When we do things like Kaddish, it's to remind us of that. And generations long past our immediate ones. You're carrying on the tradition of those who have been anointed, who are in happy, well-positioned places, who were called blessed. We want to show you a slide that summarizes Matthew 5. Every one of these items is what it means to be blessed, well-positioned, happy because of God's workings. To be poor, to be mourning, to be meek, to be hungry, 
Man, in this room, you are a body that is chosen to be poor rather than to give up on the kingdom of God. You would rather eat vegetables with the righteous than meat with the wicked. We've mourned together at times. Yeah. And we're not done with that. The cost of the cross has not ceased, but you are paying it. You've been meek and at the disposal of God's will and not your own. We have been growing an ever-increasing hunger for his word, and our hunger for the world is dying day by day. Yeah. Mercy has grown in this place. Purity of heart towards one another has grown. Shalom-making, right-order setting. Families are refusing to leave things out of order, even between families and making things right. We've experienced our own share of persecution. We've been falsely spoken against many times. But man, verse 12 is true of us. That's right. We rejoice and are glad because our reward in heaven is great. In the same way that they persecuted the prophets, men who had this anointing oil in the past, we are following after this tradition in increasing measure, and we are beginning to form our lives up to that fragrant measure. Verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Now, Sam, your light is shining. Yeah. Your families are being affected in every way. They're being divided, but to Christ or to Baal. You are an instrument of light in a world that is ever darkening. Sometimes in preaching, we have a habit of ensuring that we uh, don't say something that is not true. So we say, you're, you're getting towards it. You're growing towards it. It's like a subtle acknowledgement that not every area of your life is perfect. I think we can go ahead and say this morning, we know every single area of our lives are not perfect, but you are shining and he's teaching you. Yes. See your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. That is the work product of your life. And it is holy unto the Lord. When you're looking at this slide and we, we've not only approached our clothes, Nick is going to land the ship. Understand that what grace empowerment, what the anointing does in your life is in the midst of those circumstances, poor mourning all the way down through spoken against falsely. People can still see that there are good deeds and some of them are glorifying your father because of Amen. it. That is what drew us to this message for you. There are difficulties in your lives, I know. Yes. But you know what else there are? There are the works of God being cultivated in your lives. And that is because you are anointed. Church, we're going to land the ship in 1 John 2, 24 all the way full circle back with where we started this message. But before we begin to read and close, I wanted to remind you of the prophecy that came forth during the first set of worship this morning. The prophecy speaking about how we do not have a perishable seed. You and I have the very imperishable seed working inside of us. We are that tree that is planted by streams of living water that is drinking. And even in seasons of drought, we are that tree that does not wither. We are that tree that does not suffer from those lack of water seasons. Because we are being watered from the very heavens. We're going to go to 1 John 2, 24, and then after that, we're going to put those five elements back on the screen, Olivia. But before we do, verse 24, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. 
And if it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Those scubalong flies. You got to slap those. As for you, the anointing you received from him, it remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Church, stand up with us this morning in the strength, knowing that you have been born from something of above and knowing that you are an anointed church body of Christ. Look at these five components one more time. The myrrh, the life and death. We want to affirm this morning that you have the life and death seriousness about the word of God at work inside of you. You have the righteous jealousy from God that is back to him saying, Lord, whatever happens, whatever comes at you, whatever tries to slander your character, I have a righteous jealousy at work inside of me and I want to see your name glorified. Church, you have that standard, that measuring rod at work inside of you this morning. You have God's standards at your right hand and you are using it well. You have the kindled fire, the cassia that is at work. The fire of God that is being kindled and blazing again, even being revigorated to get together this morning. And lastly, you have the spiritual light. You have that olive oil that mixes in with the rest of the spices of the anointing oil and causes everything to be visible, everything to be seen. Church, you are anointed by the Father. You have a supernatural anointing at work in you. John 14, 27 says, Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's a command. Church, this morning, we are going to refuse to let ourselves be troubled. We are going to refuse to be afraid of what we do not know about the future because we are the anointed people of God. We have his anointing at work inside of us, and we are going to worship in faith together this morning because we have his anointing. Mighty God, we love you. We thank you for anointing us and anointing your body, mighty God. Lord, we thank you that your anointing is useful and beneficial for all things. Lord, we refuse to be fearful. We refuse to be troubled. We refuse to be afraid, Lord. We trust in you and in your mighty name, and we worship you with joy and gladness this morning. In your 